welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Today, we have for you Kate Golibowski. Welcome, Kate. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Simone. Thank you. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to hear your journey from... Poland to Australia. Please give us a bit about your personal and professional bio. Personally, as you've just said, I am a Polish immigrant to Australia, which happened in a way by by accident, because when I was growing up in Poland, um, Poland was still a communist country with limited opportunities for anyone to travel. And um, however, I was growing up in a house where there were plenty of maps and books. So I was always inspired by what was in those books. And I was also inspired by, you know, potential future travel by looking at the maps. My dad was a geographer, cartographer, and often his work involved editing maps, you know, adding new information, editing old information. And so sometimes he would be doing these things at home where I could be observing him in action. And so, you know, it is one of the most vivid memories growing up that I had access to all of these maps and beautiful books, not always in the in the Polish language, but also in, in other languages, but opportunities to travel were, were limited. And so as a young person, when the world opened up, um, the you know the, the 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 system collapsed and it became possible to travel. Like many other people of my age, I took up various opportunities uh, to travel around Europe and eventually to venture further afield. And and one of the countries that I visited was Australia. So while the first uh, visit to Australia was very much intentional, I actually ended up staying there as a first generation migrant, a little bit by chance. <laughs> Now, professionally, I studied at the university in Warsaw. At that time when I was studying, they were the only way in which people could obtain their higher education degrees were to enroll in a master's program. So these were five-year-long degrees, unless someone was studying architecture or medicine. Obviously, these types of studies that take, take a bit longer. And so when we were graduating from the university, we would be graduating with a master's degree. And I specifically studied um, political science, which opened up, you know, my world and the way of thinking. And this actually, a few years later, led me to explore opportunities to further my, my education in Australia. And so this is, you know, by becoming an international student in Australia, this is really how my longer term Australian experience started. Wonderful. And I think you're now settled, married with children. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Yes. So from that initial experience um, of being an international student, you know, I've, I've enjoyed living in Australia. I've enjoyed interacting uh, with Australians as well as with many other, you know, immigrants, be they international students or, you know, people who were already settled in the country. And for me specifically, a romantic story happened. Yes. This was a pull strong enough to, you know, to consider. And as a result, 
I ended up staying in Australia, though, as I said, it had not initially been the intention or the plan. Yes, very good. So happy ending to your venture there uh, after things change in Poland. So what was it like adjusting, like, you know, and this adds another layer, right? Leaving a communist country, which was probably all you knew before and now venturing into like a more open country open towards trading, education, interaction, so many things. So what was, give us a sense for what it was like in Poland during communism versus coming over after that. What was it like for you? Absolutely. So I guess a a small caveat here, when I was leaving Poland to study in Australia, Poland was no longer a communist country as such. It was an ex communist country and so a lot of things have changed in that time that I was still in Poland but comparing the two countries obviously you know many things Um, I was fascinated and I had wanted to go and explore Australia I was fascinated by the natural history of Australia and I had plenty of opportunities to experience it firsthand being a tourist and also you know coming from Central Europe Places like Australia, those faraway places, really can, you know, influence your imagination and your hopes and your aspirations to travel and experience those places that, you know, from where you stand, appear very exotic. I guess, you know, it might be a similar perspective, you know, for an Australian-born person who is venturing for the first time to explore Europe or to explore Asia, you know, it's the similar sort of pull, you know, we want to hit the road, we want to explore and experience other places that in our mind are exotic. So, you know, the pull of the natural history and and geography were certainly things that I was very interested in seeing. Australia has a smaller population than Poland and Australia, obviously, you know, the national language is English. However, many other um, community languages are spoken so this cultural and linguistic diversity was also something that was of interest to me and to give you more context why I was interested in having that experience as a young person I loved learning foreign languages and so English was the first language that I was able to um, to study at high school this was immediately after the the fall of the system so Russian was no longer the only compulsory and actually available foreign language that most school students could take. And so my choice in high school was English, French, and Latin. I was following a a language track where, you know, these languages were taught uh, probably for a few more hours than, you know, than they would be um, if I was in the general track. And so languages was something that I I enjoyed learning. But when you are learning a language and when you don't have the opportunity on a daily basis to practice it, it can be a little bit stifled, you know, it is you're learning the grammar, you're learning the vocabulary, but the opportunities to immerse yourself in the environment when you can practice the language is not always available. And so another motivation was to find myself in an environment where I could be using English on a daily basis. And in my case, it was true um, through furthering my education, uh, but also being exposed to individuals who speak other 
other languages and who uh, represent other cultures. Poland is and has been mostly a monocultural um, country. So Polish is the national language and it is the language that everyone speaks. There are some cultural minorities in Poland, but they are indeed minorities. So nothing compared to cultural, linguistic or religious minorities in Australia. So definitely going to a country that was very cosmopolitan and at the same time located far away were the two important attractions for me. I feel the pull to move forward to the, you know, our discussion, but I'm intrigued and I like to give people for a sense for what life is like in Poland. If you can remember pre, you know, during the communist time, what was it like? We've, I've never been to Russia. I've had a, a short time in Cuba and have a sense for what things are like there. But can you give us and our listeners a sense for what life is like during communism in Poland and now after communism? Like, how have things changed? What's everyday life like for people there? So I experienced like the last leg of communism and it was probably not as hard as it was in the decades before. So in the late 1980s and early 1990s, when the system was already collapsing, um, this is when I was growing up. And so I have the experience of, for example, studying um, the Russian language at primary school, and it was the only and the compulsory language that all students had to take. So this is one experience. And this was obviously ideologically and politically motivated. There were certain parts of the Polish and the European history that would be omitted from history books because they were inconvenient. These days, you know, we can talk about them openly and there's research going on. But back then it was inconvenient and probably not as risky as a few decades earlier, but there were things that were simply not talked about and and children were, were not learning about them. So this was my experience growing up. However, when I went to high school, it was the first year when the world was beginning to open up. And so other languages than Russian were available. Um, there was there was a de-evaluation or re-evaluation of the, of the Polish currency. So the name remained the same, but because there was a galloping inflation, a couple of zeros were cut. And so one of the experiences for everyone, not just for me, but you know, for, for everyone in the country was to learn how to, you know, what was the, the value of a, of a banknote. In the old money and what was the value in the in the new one we had to visually learn how the new banknotes and coins look like so there was another experience there were opportunities for i guess people who were a little bit older than me who were in the early 1990s already finishing up their university degrees there was um, there were opportunities to join um, corporations who were setting up shop in Poland because it was a new market and there were there were opportunities and so various consultancies, private companies. And so those people who were a little bit older, who already had or were about to um, obtain their degrees would be able to obtain jobs in these companies. I was a little bit too young for that. They have also found that working in a corporate job, and it was not something that Poland was familiar with, because you know, very little private property. Right. It was a new. It was a new experience. So um, I guess you know, it was a very heavy mix of things that were happening almost all at once, and 
you know, the borders were, were open up. So it became possible to travel to more destinations still with a visa um, and obtaining a visa to travel anywhere, say to Western Europe was a timely, uh, was a time consuming process, which I have experienced myself, but it was doable. And, you know, and for the first time, I felt that I was almost like those other kids from other parts of Europe who were able to travel freely, who were able to learn each other's language, who were able to enjoy the culture, the architecture, and so on. So it was truly a transformative and a wonderful um, experience, particularly, you know, at the young age when people are learning so much, you know, the formative years. Wow, 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 wow. So then transitioning from that world, how was Australia in your first few months studying, being in a completely different world, you know, like, did it add up to your all your imagination? What was it like the excitement I can just imagine I've never been to that part of the world, but definitely would love to visit. It is a great question. And, it, you know, it forces me to go back and think how I felt when I first landed. I vividly remember that I very much wanted to get a window seat. It's not <laughs> funny like these days. People choose ale because they want to stretch their legs or, you know, they don't want to have people, you know, yeah, stand up, stretch your legs. But I, I vividly remember that I very much wanted and I requested at the chicken that I get a, a window seat. And the reason for that was because I wanted to see Australia from above, right? The travel was long and I remember arriving very tired, but I did get this window seat and I could see Sydney from above and then Canberra where I was studying from above. So these experiences were, were, were wonderful. And they, you know, as I'm talking about them. So obviously they, they start, they're stuck in my mind. The initial experience of Canberra, which is the place where I initially landed and where I have spent the, the initial years get, furthering my education, were mixed because Canberra is a spread out city with lots of green spaces, but it is a relatively small city. Interestingly, it has an American connection that I don't know if our listeners know about or not. So there was an American architect, I believe originally from Chicago, who was contracted by the Australian government to lay out the design of the new federal capital in Australia, which was going to be Canberra. Mm, interesting. And so what he did is he laid out a very well, so the, the, the city is very well planned. It has lots of circles, has an artificial lake in the middle. And the location is also beautiful because pretty much wherever you stand in the city, you either see a hill or you see the mountains um, in the distance. And it is also not too far away from the ocean. So these days, you know, when people are considering what are they going to do over, you know, during the weekend, they can either choose the mountains or they can they can travel, you know, not too far and be be on the shore. This is the American connection, and uh, and that that architect actually spent a few years living in Canberra while she was in the process. So I thought that I would share this with you in case our listeners do not know. So the the initial experience was, you know, I was I moved from um, the capital city of Poland, which was already at the time a sizable, you know, metropolitan area, to a place that felt more rural. Um, the the you know the city lights would be so to speak out early on. The public transport would pretty much stop you know b- between six and seven o'clock. 
One would need a car, which I didn't have to get around. Um, so there were certain limitations. However, I was, I found a beautiful tribe of international students who were also living the same experience of being new to the city, being new to Australia. And they kind of became my, you know, my tribe that I that I hung up with for those few years that I lived in Canberra. I must say, and another difference that, that obviously I experienced was the change in seasons. Because, you know, coming from, from the northern hemisphere, I was I was living in in spring and I arrived smack into autumn. So for trees, oh. cooler weather, you know, the, the seasons are upside down. There was certainly a lot of things to, you know, to adjust to. Thank you for that vivid picture of Poland and now the American connection with Canberra and, you know, what it was like for you there. Okay, so you're there, you're primarily there to study, right? Yes. And you're in a kind of a rural part of Australia back then. Uh, what are some challenges or successes that came along that journey as you went through your studies? Like, you know, how did you adjust to life? I think, again, it was a mix of challenges and little successes. And so one of the things that was, I guess, a cultural adjustment that I needed to, to embrace was addressing my superiors at the university by their first name. This is not culture in Poland. And I felt, I remember that for a while, I actually felt uncomfortable doing this. And even though everyone around me was doing this, I still felt embarrassed because this is not the way, you know, if I address a lecturer or a professor back home in Poland by their first name, I would be in trouble. So I found that in some ways the Australian culture was more welcoming and creating a sense of greater equality between a student and a professor, for example. So this is an example of, 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 a, of a cultural adjustment. Another thing that I needed to keep in mind is the, the traffic, you know, the drive on the other side of the road. <laughs> which sounds trivial, but you have to be careful on the road, you know, crossing the road. I remember on one or two occasions when I was taking the bus to go somewhere, I actually took the bus going the wrong direction. <laughs> so do they drive on the right or the left in Australia versus Poland? I'm not sure in both countries. So Poland is like the US, like Canada. In Australia, they drive on the left. Oh, yes, okay. In, in big cities, you will have those signs you know, when, when you are about to cross the road, look left, look right. This is a reminder that you are, you know, in a country where the traffic is on the other side of the road. So it's a good reminder. But sometimes, you know, like I did, I was catching, I was catching the bus, hoping to go to one location. And after a few stops, I realized I was going <laughs> in the completely opposite direction. After a couple of those lessons, you know, I was always paying attention that I'm going, that I'm taking the bus, going in the direction that I want to go. So this was another adjustment. Adjusting to the seasons, again, was something, you know, mentally, particularly at the beginning. I left in spring and I arrived in autumn. So it was something that I needed to constantly remind myself about. Then came July, which would be summer in Europe and in the Northern Hemisphere. However, Australia was hibernating and going into winter, you know, negative degrees, negative temperatures. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm using the Celsius, which Australia uses and, and Europe uses. So there were lots of these, you know, little adjustments. There was a year when there was just a little bit of snow in July, which obviously never happens in Central Europe. 
So this was another, you know, little thing that stuck in my mind, you know, to have snow in July. It melted very quickly. Nevertheless, it was cold enough, you know, for the snow to fall. And so by then you, you learned enough English to have been able to function in school. Am I, am I guessing that? You said you had a year after things opened up in Poland to take. You did Latin, English, and another, was it French? Yes. So the way it worked for me is I had these languages at high school. Also at the university, students are expected or were expected when I was a student to take two languages. Obviously, English was my choice because I could continue from high school, but I also took up Italian. And so this is my third strongest language. I enjoy speaking in Italian. And so the way I, I, I organized things with Italian, instead of going to the, to the Italian language classes that the university was offering, I was actually getting a credit from uh, classes that I was attending privately after school, but they were accepted. And it is actually through these Italian language classes that I, that I was able to travel to Italy on two occasions to do immersion courses in the language, as well as to you know, understand the culture, and the geography a bit better. So I had two, two, of, two, two such experiences and they were wonderful to the point that I am still able to speak relatively good Italian. So four, you English, Italian, French, Polish. And Polish, yes. Wow, amazing. Yes, so it's been, you know, it's been a gift to be able to study all those languages and particularly when I, when I had the opportunity to travel to Italy. To, to use them on a daily basis, to participate in language courses that were aimed at supporting international students interested in learning Italian. This was a wonderful experience each time. And so when I arrived in Australia as an international student, I needed to have met prior language uh, requirements. And so one of there were a number of requirements that international prospective international students needed to satisfy. And one of them was an English language test which I had to sit, um, pass, and after having achieved a certain score, I was able to apply um, for admission into the course that I was interested in. So in a way, I already had a good level of English. However, I found that by studying in Australia, I was able to improve it even more. So, you know, things that I was doing, I was writing in English, I was expressing myself, you know, speaking with people around me. So this is very much, you know, what I, what I, immersion that full immersion immersion. yes yes and I was you know I was reading newspapers and 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 scholarly articles in the language so certainly this experience has helped me enormously I remember traveling to Australia with hard copy you know dictionaries these days we have them online Mm -hmm. and I remember there were times where you know people would be going out the native English speakers from other countries And I would sometimes join them, but, you know, maybe go home earlier because I wanted to catch up, you know, finish reading something or finish writing something, knowing that there were things that I needed to catch up on in terms of, you know, so that I could express myself correctly and the way that I wanted. And this required, you know, you know, being a good friend with my dictionary. Right. Extra study time. (laughs) (laughs) So I was. Right. I wonder what what was your international student experience like studying in Australia? I'm sure people will be listening 
wondering, oh, interesting, studying in Australia. That's an interesting place. I wonder what it's like as a student there. And then what did you study in university? I mean, you studied so many different languages. I'm thinking maybe you went along the linguistic path, but I don't think that's what you did, right? No, so I didn't go to Australia to, to study English literature or, you know, English language or, or media communications. I was lucky enough to be offered a double scholarship to study in Australia. So this gave me a little cushion and a sense of, you know, that I, I could work uh, because international students were able to work. I believe it was 20 hours per week, but I didn't have to. The, the course that I was pursuing was called Public Policy. And in this, I was able to pursue my particular passion, which is international migration. So I was a student researcher for a couple of years, and then I graduated with my second degree. Obviously, having you know, a good command of English, both oral and written, was a requirement because I was studying in an all-English language um, environment. I had you know, peers from other countries around me, from Asia, from North America, who were also studying at the same university in Canberra. And so the experience was very international because there were a lot of other international students, not just the, you know, the group that I was hanging out with. You know, that we had, we, we could join various clubs. Like, for example, I joined a movie club, which every week would have a screening. So, you know, the courses would finish for the day, which was a wonderful experience. Uh, there was only a nominal fee. I could become a mentor to welcome newly arrived international students. And I think I was, I was in that role, kind of taking a group of Asian students, I believe they were from Taiwan around campus and showing them, you know, this is the library, this is the cafeteria, this is student services, you know, if you want to play soccer, here's the field. So I was in that role after a while and it was very enjoyable. So overall, it was a great experience. Very good. And what is it like for a Polish immigrant living in Australia. It's fun. You know, so people, I often get questions, you know, where is your accent from? And it is a difficult question to answer because I was learning English in Poland, um, initially with, you know, English language teachers who were Polish. I had some experience learning English in Scotland. And so I had to adjust the ear to this Scottish accent. I had British language teachers. So, you know, Britons working temporarily in Poland. And then obviously a couple of years living in Australia. So it is indeed a difficult question to answer. I realized that I still carry my European accent speaking English. And, and so this is what prompts people to ask, you know, where are you from? You know, where did you learn English? The experience has been good. In Canberra, where, where I initially lived, there was a small Polish community. And one of the things that I enjoyed doing with them and for them was to work at a local um, community radio station that was broadcasting in Polish just once per week. But it was fun because I could learn a little bit about how radio works in practice. So actually, you know, sitting behind the console with another person who was much more knowledgeable about these things. I could also see, you know, the, the diversity of languages in Australia, because just before the Polish language program, there was a program in one of the Pacific languages. And after us, there was another group coming. So there was just one studio or two studios, and we were using, you know, there was like 15 or half an hour in between the teams. 
and a new group would come in and deliver their day programming language. So it was a wonderful experience because I continued to be, I continued to be exposed, you know, to the Polish music and, and news and so on. I continued speaking the language. At the same time, I was serving the community. And occasionally I would get informal, you know, feedback. It was so lovely to hear you on the radio. It is so good that you're doing it. So there was this aspect, you know, being becoming part of the community. But equally, you know, uh, what was valuable was to be exposed and to, you know, be able to interact with people from different countries. Quite, quite typical. So I remember my first years here too, just being excited to learn and trying to find people from the community from which you're coming and exploring as well as staying connected to your yeah. birth country through that culture, right? Can you speak to us about your international migration studies and, and where that has taken you and, and uh, all the exciting things that you're doing? I guess we're now turning our attention to uh, my research um, and I'm very excited. I'm always very excited to speak about my research because this is this is my professional um, line of work. The research that I conducted in Australia in uh, initially when I arrived Ooh. as a student. So I had an interest in international migration when I was still living in Europe. And um, I guess as part of my fascination with, you know, Australia being an exotic country, but also being a country, modern Australia is a country of immigrants. More than 50% of Australians have roots somewhere else, either because they are foreign born themselves or because they have at least one parent born overseas. And I use the term overseas because Australia is an island. So anyone who is not born in Australia comes from overseas. <laughs> I had that interest before going to Australia and Australia in a way, you know, being in Australia and studying there enabled me to kind of spread my wings and deep dive into the topic. And so mm -hmm. um, my initial research in Australia was concerned with, with a comparative study of policies for regional dispersal of skilled and business migrants, which at that time Australia was, was beginning. And okay. I had a, a, a comparison with a similar policy in Canada. At that time, these policies were relatively new, but robust enough to allow a comparison. And since then, they have grown in each country quite substantially in terms of numbers and the policy frameworks and the settlement support services for migrants and so forth. So this was the initial project. And upon moving to Darwin, to the top end of Australia, I've continued looking at migrants and their settlement patterns and motivations, why they come to regional areas. In a way, you know, I, I continued the, the, my initial interest in regional settlement because in many countries around the world, migrants prefer to settle in urban areas, in the largest metropolitan areas, which is the case in the United States, in Canada, in Australia. It is not common as the first choice for migrants to decide and settle in, uh, you know, outside the largest metropolitan areas. So um, this has been my interest. I have also looked at, at other aspects of international migration. So I mentioned earlier, for example, motivations, uh, why people come, 
where they settle, and if they decide to move somewhere <laughs> else, what are their motivations? So this is this is another strand um, of my work. Here in Atlanta, where I had been based for the last four months, my research has been concerned with uh, business acceleration or the role of business acceleration for migrant and other minorities who wish to become entrepreneurs. But when I say entrepreneurs, what I have in mind are micro enterprises. So, you know, either just one person, the owner manages the micro enterprise, or they might employ one or two people, but it will still be a small, um, a small exercise. I have been shadowing a business accelerator here in Atlanta um, that is offered for free in three locations by Emory University. And I am hoping to take lessons with me to Australia and um, develop a framework for a similar business accelerator that would support migrant and refugee women in particular. Yes, and that's how we got connected was through a refugee network here in the Atlanta area. That's right. Very good. You're you've been here now for what a few months? Yes. Yeah, so I've been in Atlanta for a few months now, and um, my stay is now coming to an end. Sadly, it feels like I literally arrived two weeks ago. Uh, but in that time, since the beginning of January, I was able to conduct um, a lot of conversations, interviews with participants in that particular business accelerator, with volunteer business mentors, with um, representatives of community organizations that are supporting and promoting the program. So I feel like I have learned a lot of new things and gained a lot of insights. This makes me very excited about taking these lessons back with me to Australia and sharing. Maybe you can shed light on what's the difference between calling someone a migrant versus an immigrant. Clearly, a refugee is different. Mm-hmm. But uh, what is your research showing you as to the activities that's going on here in in the U.S., in Atlanta? I would say that the term migrant and immigrant, as you have just said, and I agree, are can be used interchangeably. And they typically refer to the first generation migrant. So in Australia, we like to use the term overseas born when someone is born overseas and comes to the country. We also use the term immigrant born, uh, not so much foreign born. Here in the US, I've observed that the term that is often used is the new Americans, which I think is a term that encompasses, you know, anyone who comes to the country, regardless of the visa stream, that they are able to use um, to come. So I'm talking about, um, you know, the, the, the legal migration. What I've observed is that there is a um, there is a lot of passion and interest in the migrant and refugee communities to start businesses, those micro businesses. And so a program like um, Start Me, which is this business accelerator offered by Emory University, can and does support their aspirations. And, you know, initial steps that they might have taken already to set up a business. So there there, there are people who participate in the program who simply come with an idea, but the idea is compelling enough that they will be supported by the program. Or people who already have have established um, their businesses and they need guidance, you know, how to, for example, if they want to employ someone, how they should go about this. If they want to um, expand the range of services or products that they have, how to go about this. Right, right. So uh, forgive me if I missed kind of the goal of your research. Is it to 
then go back and support such a program in Australia? So answering this question, I think, you know, as an academic, of course, as a scholar, I am interested in publishing and sharing what I've learned here because I think that the, that the program and the idea of business acceleration is something that should be taken up and practiced so that migrants, refugees, but also anyone who is interested in starting a business and making this their way of you know, bringing in an income and being independent is something that we should support. So this is the scholarly, the academic um, side. However, from a practical point of view, my hope is also that I can share these lessons in Australia and inspire similar business accelerators to flourish. I'm not saying that Australia does not have does not have business accelerators because it does and it has many of them and at people working in different industries at different um, business stages and so on. And so I think you know my role will be to contribute to the public debate and hopefully inspire business accelerators that would support a greater number of those people who have the passion, who have the skills, and who just need that, you know, little extra to take them where they need to be. Awesome. It's it's yeah. such good research. I'll be looking out and hopefully we can stay connected on LinkedIn and I'll be able to see some of the research that you uh, end up putting out. Any advice that you may have for immigrants worldwide? It doesn't have to be to the U.S. specific experience or the Australian specific experience, but, you know, what any recommendations for a like faux pas that they should stay away from? Any, any advice that particularly is on your heart that you think this is so important as an immigrant to thrive and survive in your experience? This is a very useful question. And thank you very much for asking, for, um, asking it. I think that it is important for any new arrival into a country to find a tribe, to find a passion, which will then create an opportunity for people to have, you know, to develop a group of friends to um, expand social networks because we often arrive into a new country and we do not have these networks. So developing them and creating opportunities to have them and to nurture them, you know, to be to be self-directed, to be proactive is is something that I would that I would suggest. I got a question. Yes, yes, what's your question? So what has been out of Rednecks, a blue house is made out of blue bricks, a yellow house is made out of yellow bricks, what is a green house made out of? I guess green bricks. Glass. Glass. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. That's cool. That's cool. Thanks for sharing. So Kate, I thank you so much for your time. I look forward to staying in touch with the Refugee Network here and to learning more about how the ladies or men are doing who are in the refugee program with Emory University. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be the guest and sharing my story with your listeners um, today. Thank you so much. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe and share with your friends, family and circle of influence.